Welcome back to the last week of The Blessed Life. I hope that you've gleaned biblical principles of how you can walk in blessing, because that's God's heart for you. He wants you to walk blessed. And walking in His blessing doesn't mean that every road that you walk down is an easy one, and it's beautiful sights. There are those moments where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to fear. The opposite of faith is, is not doubt, it's fear. And God's heart for you is to trust Him, even in the difficult things, and to stand in faith. That's what this series is about, is trusting God, having faith in Him, because He is the source of all blessing. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And I want you to experience the good and perfect gifts. That doesn't mean that that your world doesn't experience brokenness. It just means that God's bigger than that. And I want you to walk in that blessing. Really, the whole, the whole series is based around this truth biblically in Acts 20, 35, where we see Jesus speaking, and he says, it's better to give than to receive. And this world tells us that If it's a blessing, it's something that we receive. But Jesus flips things around and he says, no, it's actually better to give than to receive. And and I want you to see that. And so we, we talked the first week about just the heart of generosity. That's the mindset that God is a God of abundance and that we don't have to live in fear that we'll never have enough or that we're not enough, that we can know that God is a God who supplies all of our needs. And he called us to be his sons and daughters and in that we are enough, and he promises that we will always have enough, and that the mindset that we should have is one of faith and abundance, not one of scarcity and poverty, because poverty is a mindset. The symptoms are you lack, but the root is you believe God is not going to provide your needs. And so that was the first week that we didn't, I didn't want you to have the the bag mentality that is like, I've got everything, like I put money in a bag, but there's holes in it. It falls out. I'm not enough. There's never enough. No, God's a God of abundance. Then the second week was all about money. Why, why is that? Because out of the 38 parables that Jesus told, 16 were about money. Out of the 500 verses that are about faith, uh, 500 verses or so about prayer. Wow. We have almost 2,000 verses about money. Why is that? Because money reveals what we value, and it's a test. And the test is this, am I going to love and trust money, or am I going to love and trust God? And I want you to step out in faith and trust Him to give Him your first and your best. And that's the principle of giving. That's the principle of tithes. That's the principle of offerings. It's a principle that when you apply it and And from a cheerful and good heart, not under compulsion, you can give to God financially and watch the blessings that take place. He says, test me in this. That is the test. Money's a test. It always is. And then last week, which I really loved last week, it was the generous eye, which is kind of an odd title for a message, but it's what do you see? What do you see? Do you look for opportunities to be blessed? And and really the three levels of of what we see was first being a spontaneous giver. That means that I'm everywhere I go, I'm looking how I can be a blessing, where I can can be a blessing and make a difference. The, The second level of that was strategic giving. In other words, I'm looking and I'm planning 
to be generous. And then the third one is sacrificially. That, that's a big one. That's where you're saying, I'm going to be generous to the point of it hurting. I, I'm, I'm sacrificially giving. And God's called us just to grow in a heart of first, I believe, gratitude. We'll talk about that maybe in the next series. And then generosity. And so today is titled The Heart of Serving. Because generosity is not not just with our, our money, it's with, with us. Because God doesn't God's not concerned about our, our money. I mean, he is. He wants us to be good stewards. But it's rooted in understanding that we are all in with him. I've been saying this a lot. Like, we, we don't live closed-hearted and closed-handed, that we open our heart and we open our hands and we say, Lord, here is all of me. Here's all of me. And, and I want that for you. And so today, in the heart of serving, we get to see in John chapter 13, where Jesus demonstrated his love for us. Really, it's demonstrating his love for his disciples. One of my life verses is Romans 5, 8. It says, and God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, that moment where I was at my worst, you can probably think back at this at some times of maybe you were at your worst. In that moment, Jesus was, was on the cross for you, thinking of you, because he loves you. And he came as a servant. In fact, he, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but it's okay. Matthew 28, uh, 20, 28, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the price. It's a lot more than a dollar amount. It was his life. In John 13, we see Jesus about to have a meal with his disciples. And, and I'm going to pick this up in chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now remember, he's at a meal. He's at a meal. And he knows, like, all right, God's given me all authority. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, let's just pause for a moment. What's going on? Well, here's what's going on. Jesus is sitting down to a meal with his disciples. In fact, He's come into the meal. You need to read the context. He's come into this meal. And what standard custom and hospitality in this culture was that when you went to somebody's house, you would take your, your shoes off. Uh, there would be a basin and someone there would be washing the feet of everyone. Because remember, there's no paved roads. If you've ever been to the Middle East, it's very dusty. I've, I've been to Israel multiple times and it's, it's a dusty environment. Thank goodness for pavement. But when they're walking into someone's house, especially with a, a, a fairly large group, we have 13 people, we know going into this, this home to eat, at least 13, we, we see that they just walk right in because nobody's there to wash their feet. So Jesus walks in, probably walks past his disciples. They all knew the custom, but they all walked in with dirty feet. This was not the norm. And Jesus is sitting there looking at everyone. And if you, if you know the context, there's been a little bit of strife about who's the best, who's the, who's the, who's the kingpin disciple. And, and Jesus is looking at all of them. He knows they all walked past the basin 
walked past the water, had to have been there because we just read that, we read this, he got up from the meal, he changed his clothing, and he put on the attire of a servant, wrapped a towel around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. All of his disciples had probably, highly likely, that as the custom, the basin and the jug of water was there, but they all walked past it, thinking, huh, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't, I'm not going to do that. And then Jesus gets up, pours the water into the basin, and then goes around one by one after he's changed into the attire of a servant with a towel wrapped around him, doing the dirty work, and he washes his disciples' feet. That's the verses 3 through 5. And in verse 6, here's what we see. It says, he gets to Simon Peter. He says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And Simon, Simon Peter's response was this, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers, he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. It's a big statement. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew that he was going to, who was going to betray him. And that was why he had said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He asked this question. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example for you that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And verse 17, and this is key. This is the one that just stuck out to me massively. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. This was a, what things? That's what I asked. Like, what things, if I, if I know them and I do them, like, I'm blessed. Like, this was a whole, this was moments. This was like a few, this is 12 disciples, remember this, and he's washing their feet. This takes a while. And he's only spoken that we see just a few, a few times. So, like, he says at the very end, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you if you do them, what, what things? I think it's the things that we all need to know. So what are these things that we all need to know? And here's the first one. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What's he saying? He's saying, unless you are willing to allow me to come and take the dirt and the grime from you. You have no part with me. You don't, you don't even know. Okay, just recognize this is way bigger than just the dust and the dirt that's on their feet. He's making this statement, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. It's big, it's way bigger than feet. 
He's talking about heart and soul. He knows that he's about to be be betrayed. He knows that he's about to face betrayal, torture, false accusation, and crucifixion. But he also knows the resurrection's coming. And he's saying, I want you to let me wash you clean. And, and here's what I found, particularly when it comes to generosity and serving. You know, Acts 20, 35, it's better to give than receive. Jesus says this, but until you have received from him, you are going to find it very, very difficult to give of your time, of your talent, of your treasure. You'll want to, but you'll find it really hard until you have experienced the humility that is Christ, until you have experienced the cleansing that comes where all of your wrongs have been washed away, until you have experienced that, you will always struggle to give because you haven't fully received. What is he saying? Remember, now now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. Have you allowed Jesus to truly wash away your sins? The dirt and the grime of sin. Have you allowed that? How is this about the heart of serving? Because the heart of serving has to come from a place of purity. And if you hold yourself to account and you allow condemnation to be a mindset that has taken root in your soul and you have not allowed the cleansing of Jesus to say, no, I, yes, that is what I used to be and what I used to do. But Jesus, you have cleansed me and I receive your forgiveness even in the moment right after your sin. You have to, you have to, you have to know that you've been cleansed by him. What's the second thing? Do you understand what I've done for you? What does that mean? Do you genuinely understand what he's done for you? You can have a head knowledge, but understanding is comprehensive body, soul, spirit. You like get it. That's that gut. Like, oh, well, you know, my gut was just telling me. You have to know, not just here, but in your heart, in your gut. Like Jesus is the one who's cleansed me. I know what he's done for me. He's given me new life. And then he says this. He says, you should also wash one another's feet. These things, what do we got to know? We got to know that unless you allow him to wash you, you got no part with him. You got to understand, body, like all of you, what he's done for you. And you have to be more than just willing. Is it like, is it about like, should I, okay, does that mean I need to go to people and like take their shoes off and grab a bowl? No, he's talking about taking the, the dirt, the grime, the grunge and serving others. And this is the heart of, of serving. And I want to point out that Jesus makes a distinction between knowing and doing. If you say, oh, I know, but you fail to do, you're saying that you understand the theological end of it. You understand the moral end. I know, but you're failing to do it. And that is the practical end. And nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And they'll never know how much you care unless you're willing to serve like Jesus did. That's good. I probably ought to write that down. That's good. How do we develop a heart to serve? 
to serve, developing a heart to serve. Here it is. Here's just basic principles that I've gleaned and learned. Number one, if you don't learn to serve in secret, you probably won't serve in public. If you want to find out what your heart is, where it is about serving, do something that nobody else is going to see, that it's all behind the scenes, all of it. I mean, everybody wants to serve when they know that they're going to get the big pat on the back. and Look at look at Schumacher over there. Look at what he did. Man, he showed up early and worked hard and whoa, did stuff nobody else wanted to. Give him. That's, that's not, that's, that's serving with a motive. Real servitude serves to be a blessing to people. The second thing, if you don't learn to serve in the insignificant small areas that no one wants, you'll struggle to serve in the big areas that God's called you to. I'm going to say that again. If you don't learn to serve in the insignificant small areas that nobody wants to serve in, you'll probably struggle in the big areas that God's called you to. You have to be willing to serve in the insignificant and the unseen because it's a heart issue. Servitude, having the heart of a servant, even though you're a son or a daughter, like we have to know that we're sons and daughters. And here's the dichotomy. I have to know that I'm a son or a daughter. I am, I am valuable and worthy, but I have, have, have to have also the heart of a servant that is willing to do whatever to reach people and make a difference in their life. Here's the third thing. Learning to serve in the house of God opens you up to the heart of God and the heart of serving. At the beginning and the end of Jesus's ministry, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, he does something unique. He goes into the temple and he cleans it out. Twice he does this. At the beginning, we see this in, in, in John, where he actually braids a whip and he whips people. And then we see it in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. At the end of his ministry, twice, he goes into the temple to clean it out. Why? Because he has a passion for the house of God. I can just speak to this. Like I, I grew up serving in the church, and it, it showed me and help develop in me the heart of God and the heart of serving. I so want that for you. Learning to serve in the house of God helps you to understand the heart of God and the heart of serving. I want you to have a heart to serve. Uh, got four simple things on the heart of serving. Um, verse three, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This so reveals a heart to serve. Four simple things. A heart to serve is willing to get involved. Jesus looked around, realized everybody had dirty feet. He's the rabbi. He's the Lord. He knows it. Remember, he even references that. But what does he do? Without complaining, without being upset, in all humility, he changes out of that rabbi's clothing, puts on a towel, pours the water into the basin, goes around and washes everybody's feet. He was willing to get involved. He saw a need. He met it. 
he took the opportunity to embrace servanthood. A heart to serve is willing to get involved. A heart to serve goes low to bring people up. He stooped down to wash their feet. He, think about this. The creator of the universe in Jesus was kneeling before his disciples who were going to abandon him shortly. He stooped down so that they could see who they really were, which is really the third thing. A heart to serve sees people beyond where they're at. He saw a bunch of goofy, you know, he didn't see just a bunch of goofy guys who didn't serve. He saw the unbelievable world changers that they were going to become. And he's serving them. Not for where they are or what they have done or haven't done, but because he sees the potential in them. So he serves. You never know what's on the other side of your willingness to serve other people. You could literally be serving the next world changer that, that the world is transformed because of them and you have an opportunity to humbly serve them because you see them, not where they're at, but what you know God has for them. The final thing, a heart to serve um, gets messy in order to make a difference. Serving is messy because you're dealing with people and people are messy. People are dirty. People have issues. If people's issues keep you from serving them, you don't fully understand the heart of God. And Jesus says, John three seventeen. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I hope that you know that God's called you to serve others and to love others. I hope you know that. If you do, I pray that you are doing that and that you are constantly looking for the place where you can be used by God to make a massive difference in serving in the small things in people's lives. So how's your heart to serve? Do you have a heart to wash the feet of those who have betrayed you or you know are going to betray? Jesus did that. Because generosity is a heart issue. And maybe God's tugging on your heart. Maybe you realize Jesus, the creator of all, laid down his life to serve you. Maybe he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. And if he is, would you pray with me? Just pray this, say, dear Jesus, I know you love me. I know you laid down your life because you loved me. Jesus, I receive that love and I return it to you with all of me. I turn from my sin, my selfish ways. I follow you, Jesus. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, that's a new beginning. It's the start of new life. That's, that's the moment where spiritual birth takes place. It's the John 3. Hey, born again. And if that's you, let us know. Let us know that God's at work in you, that you've surrendered to Christ so that we can connect you to resources and relationships to help you grow. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. God bless. Bye-bye.